Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. I'm here with Mujig from Equilibrium. Mujig, can you tell me how to pronounce your last name, dude? I'm going to butcher um, it. It's called uh, Altantux. Uh, one more time? Uh, Altantux. Altantux. Yes. Mujig Altantux. <laughs> by, all, by at least my standards, probably the number one competitor in Singapore, I would say, man. You've been crushing people. I actually first found out about you when... Because you moved here during COVID, right? Yes. And I first found out about you when I was doing the commentary for your match with, with Bruno at, uh, what was that competition called? The, the, uh, the one that Oz was hosting. Was the Sing- SG Invitational? Yeah, Singapore Invitational. Yes. And you competed against uh, Bruno Amarim, who's been in the scene for a really long time, who's a really talented, uh, you know, he's a world champion at, at Brown Belt like 10 years ago or something like that. Really, really talented jiu-jitsu player. And I, I've rolled with him over the years, of course, in Singapore. And then I just saw you buzzsaw through him. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Dude, I've heard like horror stories about your guard passing. Like your guard oh. passing gives people nightmares. Like <laughs> I literally heard from I haven't had the pleasure to roll with you yet. Maybe we can alleviate that pretty soon. But I have just heard from every person that I talk to you just talks about that your guard passing is just brutal and ruthless. And then oh. when I saw you cut through Bruno's guard, who's got a good guard, I was like, Oh shit, this guy's fucking legit. So, like, uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, and no, thank you for having me. We're having some beers. Get in there. Dude, cheers. 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 Mujik, my pleasure, man. Nah, we, don't, we can air touch. Cheers. Otherwise, we have to climb ourselves out of here. Yeah, don't, don't move. Jake, the producer in the house, as always. Jake, you're a legend. Cheers. We love on, you. On Jake's too. <laughs> if Jake has water, you know what happened. He drank too much yesterday. Too much to the point where he can't even have a little hair of the dog. I have, I have serious anxiety today. My heart was my heart was racing this morning. I was like, am I having a panic attack? I'm not oh. sure. Oh, you drank that much? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, well, Jake, you enjoy your water. Good, uh, good water. So anyway, Mujik, I was saying, you, you came here during COVID, right? Yes. I What's your story, here. man? How did you end up in Singapore? Well, um, so my girlfriend, she is a PR in Singapore. So I decided to visit her for like a month. And then that's when I got to meet Yang, and he asked me to if I would like to work together. I was like, yeah, let, let's do it. Yang, who's it. been on the podcast, who Jake knows from when he trained at Equilibrium. Um, yeah, your your wife now? Is, is she your wife? Uh, girlfriend? No, it's still my girlfriend. Don't let me put yeah. that in your mouth, dude. <laughs> I don't want to give, give anybody any ideas. <laughs> Not yet my wife. Actually, because uh, Charmaine, my wife, competed against her. I think it was her first match at Purple Belt. Charmaine's first match at Purple Belt was against Sue way back in the day. Like yes, three. it was. Yes, you were there. I think I that was, was there. The, yes, that was the first time I ever saw you, and then I remember seeing you uh, later on. Sue was fucking good, man. She's good. Yeah, she's she's great. She yeah, put the beat really down good. on Charmaine. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> she, she, dude, her open guard was nasty, and she has some crazy cross face pressure. And then it's one of those things where like. After one minute, you just know, like, oh, she's not going to win this match. This is brutal. <laughs> like, she, she had a cross face, and it looked like her chin was, like, pinned to her shoulder, and she was trying to escape. And I was like, well, dear, you're just going to have to ride this one out because you're not getting out of that shit. <laughs> you, you are staying there, and you ain't moving for five minutes. Like, get used to it. So how long how long you been here now? Um, been here for two years now. Like, literally during the time of COVID. Yeah, you got here just when it began, pretty much. Or a little bit into it, I guess. Yes. So... Right, literally, I came. I did a two two week homestay notice. Then when I got out, we went straight into uh, circuit breaker. Oh, so right when you got here, it was circuit breaker. Yes. Oh, yeah. You came at a weird time, man. A little bit, yeah. yeah it definitely <laughs> came at a weird time. A little bit. Wait, so how do you know? Uh, how do you know Sue then? Because uh, she's a PR here. How did you end up meeting her? So Sue, she was um, she was studying in London, and then she started training jujitsu at Roger Gracie Academy. 
and I was there as well, and that's how we met each other. Which is interesting because I think we have some shared lineage. Who who gave you your black belt? Uh, it was uh, Jason Hunt. Is he a is he a Hodger guy? No, he's not a Hodger guy. But it was at the academy. No, it wasn't at that academy. Oh, I thought you were at the Hodger Gracie Academy. I was I was there until brown belt. Mm. Then then that's when I left and moved to Singapore when I was a brown belt. Oh, you moved here when you were a brown belt. Yes. Oh, I see. But you did your color belts through Hodger's Academy. Yes. Okay, so the guy that gave me my black belt is Hodger's first black belt. Oh, yeah, Nick, Nick. Nick. Nick G. Yeah, do you know okay. him? Yes, of course. Yeah, I know him. He's the one that gave me my black belt. <laughs> oh, wow. So we got a little bit of something <laughs> bit. going on there. A little bit of something yeah. going on. I can see that fucking guard passing already when <laughs> I watch you compete. I don't want any part of that, dude. <laughs> That's crazy, man. It's a small world. So you vote, you're a pretty new black belt then. Yes, yes. Actually, uh, we must have got our black belt right around the same time. I got mine in, uh, I just got my first stripe. Hmm. I got mine like the 2019, very beginning of 2019 or very end of I think it was January 2019. You got it just before lockdown, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, because we just were able to get Nick here, but COVID was already a thing. Yeah. It was already happening. and just hadn't actually gotten to Singapore yet. Uh, so so those competitions that you did were like your first at Black Belt. So, yeah, the, the Bruno fight, that was my first Black Belt. Uh, man, it's crazy yeah. to put that on Bruno when you just got your, <laughs> just got your Black Belt, man. That That's crazy. Are you like a competitor? Like, is that really what you, you're into doing? Y- yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm still. Uh, my goal is to still compete and and try to become world champion. Of course. Do you have any? Of course, I'm the total opposite. You say that as if everybody's <laughs> like that, and I'm just like, what? I don't have any interest in that, man. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any competitions coming up? Or um, so right now, I'm thinking go to Abu Dhabi in November. Then the next one will be the ADCC in Singapore, and then we'll see probably Europeans in January. Oh, so you got a nice circuit. Wait, the one in uh, November. Is the Thailand one? Oh no, uh, the uh, the World Pro in oh, Abu Dhabi. It's an oh the one mm. in Abu Dhabi. There's an ADCC I thought also in November in Phuket or something like that. that Rob was talking to me about. Yes, it um, is. Yeah, so I had to kind of make a choice between either go to Thailand do the ADCC or go to do 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 the World Pro. In Abu yeah, Dhabi. I think the World Pro is probably a bigger tournament, right? Yes. Bigger cash prize and stuff. Yes. What's your weight yeah. class? Uh, I have, to ch- I have to see it first. Um, you still don't know. Oh, okay. a, what yeah. do you weigh now? I weigh like around 66. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that, that's a nice category. So you got a nice competition schedule coming up. What's your, uh, like, how would you describe your style, man? Like, what's, uh, what, what are you, some of your go-to moves and stuff? Oh, man. Um, I would say, like you said, like passing, guard passing. But I don't mind playing guard. I like playing guard. But What's your go-to guard? Uh, right now, like shin to shin. Uh, butterfly guard, X guard, single leg X. So it's kind of turning into like a nogi style of guard game, I guess. Did you only start? We were actually talking about this before the podcast that you're doing a little bit more nogi now than you were when you were coming up. Did you spend most of your time training in the gi? Um, um, actually, when I first started, I was doing gi, but I was also competing nogi. But so I would say like 50-50. Would you train no-gi too or you would just train in the gi and then just go to no-gi competitions? Oh, I would train in the no-gi as well. Oh, you do, yes, you do yes. both. Because I know the Brazilians are all about that. Like, no, no, if you want to get better at no-gi, you just train in the gi. <laughs> like, what? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But what's your, uh, you know, like, do you, do you have more of like that new age style? Like, are you doing a lot of... I guess in Nogi, are you doing a lot of the inversions and the heel hooks and mm. the new age stuff? Or do you, it looks like your game is like pretty classic, which yeah. I like, right? Like mm. that kind of old school Hodger Gracie kind of style. It's just very, 
basics sharpened to a razor's edge, right? Really, really tight. Yes, uh, it's. I'm I'm learning how to do the 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 leg locks uh, game right now as well, but uh, I still prefer guard passing. But then also with the guard passing, I've been doing more like floating pass, uh, more yeah, more floaty, I guess. Those floating passes, I I cannot figure them out. <laughs> I keep trying, I keep trying, and then I just end up getting swept. It's like the ones where you you go to your hands, yes, right, and then yes. you start to pummel your legs inside. Yes, I just cannot figure that out. I've tried so hard. All of like Gordon Ryan's passes, who just came off of a huge ADCC. Did you catch any of those? Yes, matches? I saw. It. It was, did you stay? Were you one of those guys that stayed up until like two or three in the morning to watch uh, all the ADCC matches? I, I tried. I you tried. tried. My best. I did my best. Yeah. Did. What, did, what did you think about him, man? What a fucking amazing athlete! It's just next level. It's amazing. He makes it look so easy. He does. And he's going against world caliber guys. He won the finals in like a minute or something. Like any outside heel hook. Uh, uh, Nicky Rods, Nicky Rod, yeah. and like a minute or something like that, and he just tapped immediately. He knew, yeah. And then with Galvo, he just literally had his arm trapped on the back, and it looked like he was trying to bite him. Did you guys see that? It looked like Galvo was trying to bite Gordon. I don't think he was trying to yeah. bite him, but he would like put his hand in there, and then you would see Galvo be like, ah. like that, that I don't was think his- he was actually biting him, but he's at least like. Maybe he's pushing his hand in there. I don't know. That was his literal only defense, though, because his other arm's strapped yeah. down there. And he's like, oh, I've got problems. I'll just, I'll, yeah. I've got a mouth. I'll use that to defend. He's so good at trapping arms on the back. I've never seen somebody so consistently trap arms on the back like Gordon. I tried to watch that transition, how he did it. Because, I mean, I could probably speak to you mm-hmm. about this, but, you know, you, you, when you're on someone's back, you yes. go to the overhook side or the underhook side. And if you go to the underhook side, it's much easier to trap the arm. Yes. Right. When I get to the overhook side, I find it very hard to like trap that arm in transition. Gordon does it so well. It seems like every person he competes against, they end up in a body triangle with that arm pinned against their stomach, just fucking sticking their chin on their chest like that for the whole match until he inevitably pummels his hand under and, and then chokes him. Like that back system, I never saw anything like that before. Do you do that stuff? Do you, uh, do, you I do the straight jacket stuff I, when you're on the back? I, I try, yes. I, yeah, I do do try it, but of course not as good as Gordon. But, but the, the crazy bit is everyone knows it's coming. Like it's no secret that that's what he's going to do. And people still can't stop it. That's the <laughs> insane part to me. Like, And, you know, obviously he can do it to me like infinity times in a minute. But to do it against the best in the world, that's the insane part about him. Like how is it? How? How? Well, do you remember when they started to uh, release their instructionals? Because originally, when they started heel hooking everybody in those EBI competitions, they didn't. Re- they didn't. They were very. Uh, they hid their techniques. Even like they would tell people at the seminars, "You can't record." And then all of a sudden, they started. Danaher started releasing instructionals. Gordon started releasing instructionals. They're telling everybody all their shit, and still nobody can stop it. That's the hilarious thing. He's literally showing you exactly what he does. Yeah. And yeah. people are studying it. They're using it. This is how you know how much like that DDS squad, like Dan Murray's <laughs> instructionals, Gordon Ryan's instructionals have like infected the jiu-jitsu community because everybody's using the same nomenclature. They're using the same jargon. They're using the same words. And you're starting to see more and more like single leg X was single leg X for the entire time I've been training. Now it's Ashigarami. Like people are seeing all of these words and they're absorbing the language and it's just permeating the entire jiu-jitsu culture, but still nobody can stop them, even no. people that train with them. Yes. Yeah, like, Nicky yeah. Nikki Rods was, used to be in 
done our death squad and then left. I'm not sure who he was with now. So he must have known what was up and what was coming. And again, could do nothing about it. I think that's why he tapped quickly to that heel hook. He was like, <laughs> yeah. I've been here before. I know. <laughs> I know what's up. better tap. <laughs> I know what's about to happen. Who, who impressed you, Mujig? Was there like a performance from the ADCC that like stood out or like something worth... Worst studying was like a standout performance. Mm, probably the Rotolo brothers. Yeah, Cade looked amazing. Yeah, he looked amazing. He didn't. He got hundred percent submissions rate. Yes, right? he did. Yeah. Who did Ty lose to in the first match? I think it was. Uh, fuck, what's his name? I can't remember. Oh man, I, I would ask you to check. Oh, yes. but it's a, and I am pulling it up on that TV. Yeah, it's oh, a pain in the ass. I think it was Josh Hinger. That's what it was. Which is a pretty big upset, you, actually. Were, yeah. I remember people used to talk like that Ty was like the better rule tool. Like that was the thing that was going around. And then to see Cade smash everybody and Ty get out. But then Ty beat fucking Felipe Pena, which is insane. And he should have beat probably Nick Marigali too, right? I thought he won that match. Did you see that one? That was the yes, referee decision. Uh, yeah. Who did you think won that? Just as a smaller man, I would always give it to. You got to give him the love, yeah, right? Yes. You got I mean. You got to give it to. He's like 25 kilos heavier than... Those rule tool brothers are amazing. So I'm a I'm a judge for one as well. Mm-hmm. And I was there judging when Cade competed against Aoki and then Ty competed against Gary Tonin. And I remember like Cade said something either when we were in the back or on the broadcast about how everybody says he's like the worst rule tool. Like Ty's everybody apparently thinks is better. And then to see Cade just go in and submit everybody at 19 years old. Man. That armbar that he got on Lachlan. That was nasty. That was nasty. That was nasty. And it came so quick, just posting up from north-south, sticking his arms. And you would think like he'd be able to pull his elbows in. Kate snatches that arm, gives him a couple fucking foot stomps to the head. <laughs> it's that arm, right? That's what he did. That's what he did. But you have to, though. Yes. I love ADCC because it's like the most aggressive of all of the tournaments. Is that your – what's your favorite rule set to compete under? Uh – uh, probably ADCC. Any particular reason why? Uh, it's just so much more entertaining. It's just so much more uh, action. Um, just so much more harder to score. I don't know. I just It's just a more entertaining style of uh, tournament. I like the hard wrestling too. That's that's always nice. And I think that they have a good split now where it's like the no points and then the points come in later on. The... I like that you can slam out of submissions. I'm like an MMA bro, so I yeah. love that shit. Like, yeah. If you can slam your way out of a submission, I'm totally into it. And this one, I feel like, was the best one I'd ever seen. Normally, I'm not a big like watch jujitsu guy. I'm an MMA guy, right? Like that's my favorite thing. And I, of course, love jujitsu, but I just find like MMA. <laughs> shit, Jake. What was that? It's all right. I fixed it. Well done. Jake, how dare you? Um, but, I, but I prefer watching MMA just generally. But I was actually entertained by this ADCC, unlike any of the other ones. I feel like Nogi has probably got more growth now than Gi. You think more people are like, if you had to guess, what do you think more people are starting to train? Gi or Nogi? Um, I think the trend is Nogi, but... Uh Still quite a lot of people still focus on the gi, I feel like. What about your students? Are they more uh, gi? So, right, uh, so right now, we're the schedule we have is like 60% gi, 40% no gi. And still people prefer to start off with the gi for some reason. But uh, once they start, they, 
they like the Nokia as well. I feel like in Singapore, ghee is still really popular. I think because most of the scene here was built by Brazilians. And they live and die on that ghee, right? You <laughs> fucking have to kill them and take that ghee off of them, right? Yes. But now it seems like it's shifting a little bit. Actually, I didn't realize equilibrium was so much, was even 40% no ghee. Because most of the gyms in Singapore, it's like 20. Yeah. If that. We do 50-50 at Stronghold. Like, we have ghee and no ghee every day, like, all the way through the day. It's like 50-50, we don't. We don't switch it up, but there's only a few gyms that are like that. Most of them, even Evolve, like when I was training at Evolve eight years ago, they had like one or two no-gi classes a week. Everything was gi. But now I feel like it's starting to shift a little bit, but it's still weird because if you go to the tournaments here, like Evolve no-gi is still pretty underrepresented. There's like the no-gi gyms in Singapore now, and it used to be like mostly gi competitions, but somewhere a few years ago, they started doing a lot more no-gi competitions, and then you can see the scene explode. And like, are you on that Nogi chat, that group chat? No. I'll add you. Okay. If, if okay. you want to do it. Yes, for sure. Because it's just like, it's a Rob Deagles does it and there's a bunch of the people on there. And we just like set up open mats, Nogi throughout the week. I told everybody on the podcast last week, and I'll say it again. If you guys are listening to this podcast, you can come to Stronghold every Sunday or Wednesday and just train for free. I don't charge anybody for it just to get some extra roles and kind of have more people to train. So today we had a bunch of people. Normally Rob comes in and trains. Have you trained with him yet? No, I haven't trained. Oh, I would love to see you guys compete. (laughs) I keep saying I would love to see you and Rob compete. That would be such a fun match. And uh, I wanted him to, I wanted him to do the ADCC in December, but uh, I think he had some other competitions that he Mm. was supposed to go to or whatever, but seeing you guys compete would be fucking fun. And he's really fun to train with too. Um, But yeah, the scene's really growing, man. So uh, Muji, I want to ask you, how long have you been coaching now? Uh, I started coaching, well, assistant instructor back in London with at Harjo Gracie Academy, but being a full-time instructor literally since 2001, no, 2021. Mm. What do you think about that? Like the differences in going from a student to changing the lens a little bit to being an instructor? It's a, uh, it can be quite intimidating, I think at first, uh, cause it's a, um, it's uncanny valley or like something I haven't done before. So, but I'm getting used to it now and I'm more comfortable teaching and uh, it's coaching. different, right? Cause you have to split your focus. You know, training is a bit selfish. Yes. Right. But yes. then when you have to start teaching, it's selfless. You have to prioritize your students over yourself. All that time you would spend training, you have to kind of like put and then think about them. How do you, uh, how do you structure your training? Like how do you, like your coaching? Um, like, like what do you what do you prioritize do you do more rolling more drilling do you do more like specific training flow mm. like what, what, what's your go-to uh, i try to keep it like uh, quite balanced so uh, i give the students enough time to drill and then uh, we practice specific sparring and then uh and then afterwards of course just do normal rounds as well so maybe like one third drills one third specific one third uh, actual like no more rolling. I heard from I don't know if this is true, but this is just maybe Oz talking shit. Oz told me today that you don't really drill; you mostly spar. For my own training, yes, I, I don't. <laughs> you, don't <laughs> you don't have to be shy. You don't have to be shy about it. Much. No, Oz was just I was telling him that he's like, oh, they were like, oh, what are you doing later? And I was like, oh, Mujik's coming on the podcast, and whatever reason, and we started talking, and he's like, oh yeah, he doesn't even drill; he just all he does is just roll and roll and roll and roll. It's the most fun, right? It is, it is, absolutely. Is that, do you think, tactically the best decision? Is it a fun thing, or is it just like a... 
like you prefer to do that for skill development? Um, so I think, well, I realize now that you should definitely drill, which is very important to get the techniques in. But yeah, f I don't know. For s back in the UK, I was just doing a lot of classes. So that's when I got my ro uh, drills in. But then, and then the rest was just sparring and so how many rolls do you think you do a week a week yeah oh wow if you had to like you know you could give me a ballpark you don't have to be well, if you had to guess like how many rounds you have of like let's say i don't know five six minutes whatever oh i have no idea i roll every day you roll every day yes how many classes do you teach um two three a day mm. two three classes a day and you're rolling every class yes so hour-long class you're probably getting three or four rolls Yes. Three times a day. Yes. So let's let's round it to like eight to ten rolls a day. Is that right? Do you roll yeah. every class? Yeah, I try to. If yeah. there's yeah, I'll try to roll with in every class. And then outside of class, I also train myself, and then then I'll also roll again. What are you doing outside of training? Um, oh, what do you is mean? it like? Is it like fitness or more rolling or? Uh, mainly rolling. Um, I try to do fitness stuff as well, but. Uh, but I'd rather do jujitsu instead. So when you do that, or is it like private training with other students? Like you, you just put it on group chats, people get together and you roll or? Yes. Mm -hmm. The secret trainings. <laughs> Everybody knows what's up with the secret trainings. Yeah, that's cool, man. No, I, can, I can see it when you train. Like, uh, well, actually one thing I was really impressed about with uh, your match with Bruno is like, man, you guys were, both of you, the stand-up, the stand-up was super aggressive. You guys are snapping each other, trying to throw each other, single leg, like double legs. You guys are all really, really aggressively fighting on the feet. And I think that's because you have a reputation for your guard passing. Because Bruno likes to pull guard. And then I was like, okay, he's wrestling a lot today. And I think it's because the word got around about like making sure that people don't get put underneath you. So he was trying really, really hard. And you still managed to hit him with some, some takedown or whatever. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then once you got on top, it was like fucking scary. What's your go-to move when you're on top? Like, do you have a... Because everybody talks to me about your passing. All the people that I've communicated with, it's a small community here in Singapore, right? So word gets around about people and their training and everything. And I consistently hear about your guard passing. So what's like a... What's a system that you have or like a go-to pass? Like, what's your... A go-to pass? Yeah. Um, probably a knee slide pass. Mm. That would be uh, anything from headquarters position. Yeah. I would say... This is my passing style. You prefer to pass on the feet? Uh, yes. Just the mobility? Yes. What about like a you know, half guard passing on the knees or something like that? Do uh, you just pop up and then try to knee cut again from the feet? Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was that guy too. I was that guy too. That's funny. So what about uh, what about your girlfriend, man? I'm, I'm quite... Charmaine keeps asking me about her. Because <laughs> I think she wants to train with her, actually. We got to organize some kind of cross-training thing. I was really impressed with her when I saw her compete. Is she competing as well with this uh, year? She just got she, a brown belt, she, right? She, yes. Recently. Yeah, she just got a brown belt. Um, we, we tried to com make her compete in the last, uh, the Internet, SG International Open, mm. but they just didn't have a opponent for her, so she didn't really compete. But she's really uh, like itching to compete, actually. Is she doing the one in December? Uh, the ADCC one? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, oh, she's nice. doing the one. Charmaine also wants to do so. Maybe we'll see a fucking rematch. Let's do it. Charmaine was like, God, I hope she doesn't. You know? I was like, what? Just fucking go in there, see what's up. It's fine. Does she do as the no gi as well as the gi? Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, she's, she's both. She, 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 yeah, she's 
good at both as well. Do you take like the, do you like modify your gi game to suit your no gi game, or do you try and switch? So like, you, do you have a different style when you play gi and no gi? Yes. What, what's like? How do you switch it? So, from we, we because in the gi, I I'll use more, more of course more grips. Uh, I try not to uh, get stuck in any guard. Uh, pass more of on the outside, uh, but in the no gi, I'll mean maybe go through the guard more. Um, and or even if I'm playing guard, I'll play. I I don't like to play like outside, like a like a regular delihiva or something like that. Anything that involves me having my leg on the outside. Is there any particular reason? Uh, just just going back to the concept of uh, inside position and keeping your feet on the inside, so you can. So your legs are not susceptible to leg locks. Mm. I'm the same way. I'm not really an outside guard player. I don't play Delhiva. It actually hurts my knees. Yes. Like I feel like that that motion when you sp- like hook, try to get that Delhiva hook. I feel a pull. I got like bad MMA fighter knees, so I always feel like a tug on the outside of my knee. So even when I'm playing guard, it's always X guard, butterfly, single X, some where some foot has like inside position. That's the same thing. But then you get those guys who are really good at Delhiva, really good at outside guard. And if you don't have those guys in your gym, when you meet them in competition, it's like, Jesus Christ. You know, even my no-gi style or my gi style is very uh, no-gi also because I'm an MMA guy. So even when I put the gi on, I don't do spider guard. I don't do lasso. I don't barambolo people. I don't do a lot of Delhiva. But then the problem is, is you go to the competition and you get the guys who are really good at that shit. And then you're like, fuck. And then they just wreck your students or they wreck you or whatever because they're so good at that. And you don't have the students who've got to that high level where they can really apply it. And then you realize like, oh, the man, when you go against some of those Brazilians who have a good spider guard or a good Delahiva, it's just like, shit, man, you get stuck there so bad. I don't know how to, oh, to deal with it when you get like those specialists, especially those gi specialists. <laughs> The Barambolo people, too. You get those Delahiva people that are really good at Baramboloing. It's like, shit, man, I can't stop this thing. And then, But I don't want to teach it because it's fucking stupid. <laughs> it's like, Barambolos suck, man. But they work really well in sport-specific gi jiu-jitsu. And you get those guys that are good at it. And it's just like, yeah, but do I want to prioritize the time to teach that? And I just can't. I can't, ima- I can't have a guy like put his head right under my balls and backward fucking roll and then take my back somehow. I'm like, I understand what you did is cool, but I can't get on board with this. <laughs> I, uh, I once got, uh, was, that, was that Equilibrium and a Brazilian guy come in, I can't remember the guy's name just for a visit sort of thing. Yes. And he got me in Spider Guard once and I was there for like a, the entire roll. Could not go anywhere for five minutes. I woke up next morning. I literally had a footprint bruise on my bicep. I was like, "Yo, this is not like this is not for me." It was no fun at all whatsoever. But yeah, like, uh, the uh, yeah spider guard. I like it until you get stuck in it, and then you're like, "This is no fun at all whatsoever." It's also brutal in your hands. Yeah, like gi when you're doing open guard. If you're playing lasso, if you're playing spider, if you're playing like a delahiva with the double sleeve control. Man, by the end of that, I need to ice my fingers. It is just brutal. I walk out of there and I'm just like T-Rex hands and I can't like close my fingers. And then you see like the meows and how their fingers are all jacked up and they just have like a weird bone with this massive swelling at all of their joints. For sure, they're going to have massive arthritis 
yeah. when they're like, like Yang, 30. <laughs> Yang taught me spider guard and like Yang's got a pretty good spider guard. Yes. And when I was first doing it, like all my hands are just cut along there every day and stuff like that until you get the calluses over it. And I swear, let's say, like, I can't play guitar as well as I used to from learning spider guard. And <laughs> just like, oh, I've got arthritis in my fingers now. Brilliant. I just let that stuff go. I just, you get those other people like the Brazilians who like do not grip break. They will hold on to the grip until their fingers explode. I'm just like, I'll change. Like people try to grip break. I'll boom, I'll pummel, change the grip or whatever. But you get those guys that hang on to those grips and you will literally spend minutes there in a squat trying to just break a grip. It's so exhausting. And then, no, then the depressing part is. You break the grip and they, and they just instantly replace it. You're like, oh, all right, we're doing this again for 10 minutes, are we? The strength of the forearms to just squeeze that shit the whole time. Um, when did you start training? What got you into jujitsu? Oh, uh, I started the, in t- like the start of 2011. Um, I started watching the UFC. Oh, you got into it through MMA? Yeah, yeah, oh, I interesting. Did. I love MMA. Oh, you do? I do, I do. Okay, nice. You ever cross train? You ever do um, any boxing Muay Thai? Yes, I well initially when I first started uh, back in the Netherlands, I I was doing uh, Muay Thai. Oh, you started with that? Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, Are you Dutch? I I am a Dutch. I'm Dutch. Yes. Oh, okay, interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then the the Muay Thai school that I was in, they expanded a little bit and they added Jiu Jitsu and MMA, and so that's when I tried Jiu Jitsu and. Do you still do any of the striking or you just did jiu-jitsu and you're like, oh, jiu-jitsu is my thing? Uh, it's, it, I pretty much fell in love straight away. Yeah, well, that's interesting. What, how long did you do the kickboxing before you started? Uh, it's like two years. Okay, so that's enough to get like some decent experience. Yeah, yeah, I would say uh, my kicks are not that good anymore, but uh, my hands are not too bad. Oh, that Dutch style. Yes. <laughs> they focus on like mostly the boxing and just slam one of those kicks there at the end of the combination. That was the first style that I learned was actually Dutch mm. kickboxing because uh, I started training striking in Canada and it was like a Boss Rutten affiliate, a Dutch guy. Yes. And, uh, you know, they had that Dutch style, like one-two hook, low kick, right? Like everything is like a punching combination and then you slam a low kick or a body kick or, or something in there. And so that was like the first style that I did. That's interesting though. I didn't know you, you ever consider dipping your toes back into the old striking? Uh, Well, I've, I've done some classes at Equilibrium, but... But uh, no, I think um, for now, I'll just stick with jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially if you're trying to compete. Yes. So this would be, how old are you? I'm uh, 29. Oh, okay. I'll I feel be... old. Jake, you're <laughs> I, know, well, I always feel old. Don't worry about it. Okay. Now, we're not, we're not too far different. But this is your first competitive year as like a black belt, or last year, I guess. Yes. Mm. But now you can actually travel and actually get up a proper, yes. proper tournament schedule. So are you going to try to do the Worlds or something maybe next year? Uh, yes. What's uh, the goal? Like eight, like Abu Dhabi? I mean, they have a great pro system there, and you can go to like the IBJJF Worlds. Do you have like a game plan? Uh, yeah, I would love to go to the Worlds. Um, I just couldn't code this year because I didn't get the points. Um, but then I went to the World Masters like uh, a month ago. or is, No, this month. Oh, wait, the, the IBJJF World Masters? Yes. Oh, you competed? I did compete, yes. Oh, right. How'd you do? I uh, lost the uh, quarterfinals. Who, who, who did you compete against? Uh, I, I don't know. The guy is a Brazilian guy. I lost two advantage. 
Oh, okay. You don't, you don't remember the guy's name? No, I don't know. My old coach name. just did that as well. Uh, Italo Linz. I don't know if you know him. He used to teach in Singapore. Mm, I've, yes, I've heard of him. Yeah, he's really fucking good. He just won the Abu Dhabi, or not the Abu Dhabi, the uh, World Masters. Actually, I think it was last year too, that, that most recent one. Yeah, he, but those, dude, some of those Brazilians, like, especially the Masters is no joke. Everybody thinks the Masters is like, oh, you're fucking over the hill. First of all, you're like 29. You're still completely in like premier, tip-top physicality for jiu-jitsu, right? You can still be totally in your prime until your late 30s. Even uh, you still see Cyborg doing these world championship competitions, Lovato, these guys that are touching 40 years old, yeah, still totally in their prime. I feel like in jiu-jitsu, you can hit that in your, your mid to late 30s. So those world masters tournaments are brutal. Uh, it was just an advantage that he that was the only score. Yeah. What do you know? What was it off of a sweep or a it was pass a or something? Double carpool. Uh huh. One was double carpool, and then he one was he almost took my back. From, uh-huh. He flipped me over, spun on my back, almost got it. But and that was it. And that was it. <sighs> That's the thing. That's the thing with the gi that drives me fucking crazy. Is it's so no gi is fluid. Right, like there's a lot of changing of positions. Gi, one small mistake and you are stuck. One advantage, people know, right? The Brazilians are masters at gaming the rules. So like you know, they'll like fake a little thirty second, like thirty seconds. Oh, let me show a little pass, and then I'm gonna sit right back down. And then they have like a metronome in their head. They're like tick, tick, tick. Oh, I'm about to get called for stalling. Let me show something really quick and settle right back down. Right? They always do this. Everybody knows that they do it. And the rules. That's why it's so hard to watch though for me. Man, is the gi tough to watch? Because one advantage, one score, and you're going to see passivity followed by a little bit of a burst, just enough to get the so that the referee sees that you don't get a stalling penalty. Sometimes they'll just take it. They'll just take the penalty, right? And then they'll just burst and slow, and it's 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 pretty tough. Which are probably you know considering it's yes, sort of what happened. Yes. Do you play that game? Like mm. you kind of have to, man. Honestly, like you do kind of have to, but. I'm not about that game. No. Not about that life. No, you're, no. you're, you're a pretty aggressive finisher. <laughs> but even if you look at the, the percentage of finishes from something like the IBJJF Worlds to ADCC, it's just crazy. And it's crazy because there's so many more ways to finish in the gi. So the fact that the per- submission percentages are so much lower and there's just so many more that go to like – go to – decision or go to advantage or something it just makes the gi just painful to watch that's why i think more people are going to do no gi it's way more exciting way more fun and i just can't i can't stand to watch a 10 minute jujitsu match and somebody win by advantage not somebody it's like 80 percent of the field it's just brutal to watch sometimes you see people go in and wreck the the worlds in gi but pretty rare it's not uh it's very slow compared to Nogi. It's just not <laughs> anywhere near as exciting. Like it, like, and is like, is Gordon Ryan a household name now? Like, or is it still? We all know jujitsu, so we know who he is. But like, he's getting to the point of being well known, especially in America, I think. And that's because Nogi is so exciting and actually fun to watch. And like the ones doing it and stuff like that as well. They're putting on the grappling in the cage, and Gee's just not there in terms of like entertainment value in terms of production value in terms of all those things like it's still you know if you're into jujitsu yeah yeah, you still love the gi but your casual fan not so much it also begs the question why is 
Why is it that Nogi has this culture for submission only, for like finishing? Like all of the organizations push it. Like EBI, they have the shootout system where you start on the back, you start with the arm bar. There's all these submission only tournaments. ADCC is trying to make. Where is all of that for Gi? There's none of that. Where's the sub only Gi? Where's the any of the finishes in the Gi? Like the effort to push that forward. It just seems like it doesn't happen. I mean, EBI, uh, EBI overtime in the Gi would be super exciting. If you can bow and arrow somebody, or yeah. if you, like, come on, man, that would be sick. I think they tried to do that with Metamoris. Right. And, and it still it, sucked. And it's, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then Brendan Swarov showed up and was like, yeah, I'm just going to shut down Cyborg. At least fine. Like, that's all I'm going to do. That is totally, you're right. They tried to do that with Metamoris and that shit flopped hard. You know what it is? Is I think it ultimately comes down to, and tell me if you disagree. I think it comes down to the gripping. So much of Gi, when you're in those like static positions, is simply grip fighting. It's trying to break grips. It's trying to get grips. And you're trying to be in as stable a position as possible. So let's say we're in the headquarters position. It's whatever the position that we're in, whether you're passing or whether you're playing guard, is just set around getting those grips. And you'll, and you'll set, see like three, four minutes of somebody trying to break a grip. I'm sorry. That's, I get it because I've done gi for so many years, but it sucks. Terrible to watch, right? Nogi is so much more fluid with the gripping that you just don't have somebody sat there for three, four, five minutes trying to get a collar grip or whatever. Yeah. But you can't, like, you know, in Gi, even like me, you know, there's nowhere in the game sort of thing. But even I can be like, well, if I can, you know, get this grip here and do this, I can take a rest for like 30 seconds to a minute before the guy <laughs> figures it out. Whereas in Nogi, that you just can't do it. You're like, oh, well, maybe I can get like a five second breather if I can get to like mission control or something like that with rubber guard. But you can't stop. And it's just way more explosive and exciting and fast, I think, is the key to it. Yeah. I don't know how you can save the gi, honestly. I don't know how you can... How can you make it more entertaining? I just don't think it's possible. The gi is fun. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do. But the problem is competition gi brings out a very specific dynamic. Like, in the gym, like, I don't get those grips and hold. Even if it means I'm going <laughs> to get my guard passed or whatever. I'll just give it up. Like, let it, let's go. Like, because even it feels boring to me when I do it. You know, like, when I roll with, like, some black belts and I'm stuck in this three, four, five minute long grip fight, I'm just like, sweep me. Can we move this thing along? I literally, you know, like, you know what it's like to spend five, six minutes trying to pass someone's guard from, like, a, a headquarters, right? Yes. You know, maybe they've got a cross-collar grip on you and a sleeve, and you're in the headquarters, and you're just spending all of this time trying to do this. Like, I'll just, I'll just let, like, sweep me. I'll give up these points. It's not, I'm never going to win win a match like that, but God, is it boring to just sit there then- and do that then that's the problem that all the competitions then have the point system so you can't be like all right let's make some action happen here like if i let him pass maybe i can get out of it but you're giving up points then you're going to lose anyway on the time so the rule sets they implement doesn't make it exciting and doesn't help either yeah i think also nogi is way more conducive to flow it's a lot more changing the position moving transitioning because you don't have the grips to just stall somebody out so it's way that's why i think it's more fun i have way more exchanges doing no gi than i'd probably 10 to 1 than doing gi like if i do a six or seven minute roll in the gi maybe we hit two or three positions in no gi it's probably like five ten x that 
10 times, five times that amount. So there's just so much more creativity, so much more flow, so much more. And that's what I'm looking to do. Because even in the gi, just people stop. And I'm like, guys, keep, even if I, have you ever tried to tell your students to flow roll in the gi? Uh, yes. I've never heard. works. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't. It never works. What's your favorite, like, uh, training tool oh. as, a, as a competitor? Is it, like, flow rolling? You know what I mean? Is it mm -hmm. uh, specific training, drilling, just, like, free rolling? What is your favorite tool to use? Uh, it would probably be specific training because then you can really focus on specific aspect of the game. Maybe it's passing. Maybe it's defending. Maybe it's scoring first point or something like that. What's uh? Do you have like a opinion on some part of people's game that's like underrated? Like what? What are people not doing enough of? Um, I would say it's wrestling. It's always wrestling for me. That's like the number one answer I'll consistently give. Is that it's probably wrestling. Do you have like a? a what do you think as a coach now? Yes. Do you see uh, an area that just generally needs more attention in, in jiu-jitsu? Um, yeah, wrestling. Um, funny you say this because since the last tournament, I, it, that's exactly what I was thinking. So this week we've been practicing a lot of takedowns. A lot of people have been rolling their ankles. And, uh, rolling their ankles? Yeah. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good <laughs> at all. But, uh, yeah, but then it's like, how do you train takedowns if you, if you don't want to get I don't know. Like. Well, because falling body weight is the most dangerous part of training, right? That's where yes. most injuries... Are. So that's why the judo people spend 20 minutes at class, break falling, wrestlers do something very similar, right? Spending all... Because it's like the resistance is where the problem comes. Like I tell my students, if you know you're going down, just go down. Don't like fight when you're already halfway down, spending all that time fighting and you land weird and then you end up in some crazy position with a blown out knee or, or whatever. Yes. You know what actually happens a lot too is Muay Thai. Muay Thai it happens a lot. Because oh. in Muay Thai you can trip each other all the time. Mm. And Muay Thai people don't break fall. I've, yeah, I've never once done a break fall in a Muay Thai class. <laughs> like, I've never seen anyone do a break fall in a Muay Thai class. Like, you know you can get swept now, yeah? <laughs> you can throw people like crazy in Muay Thai. I mean, you can trip them, you can throw them, you can dump them, you can body lock throw them, you can do all of that stuff. And these people have no idea how to fall. You know how many like arms I've seen people reaching back and stuff because they don't spend that time at the beginning of the class falling knowing how to fall I don't know how many times we've said it on this podcast Jake this is episode 75 so we've probably yeah. said we've probably said it 300 times, times. Yeah. I mean at least I, yeah. I don't know it's probably double but learning how to fall is super important even for like if, if there's a skill that you can have into your old age is break falling my mom fell when she was 62, I think, she fell. It did that thing, you know, you, you fall and you just instinctively, like she just tripped over a, uh, a road, where, you know, where the, you're on the street and then it pops up and then you, and she tripped, boom, took, destroyed her whole arm, had to get pins installed and like had to have surgery and all this kind of stuff. And you just think when you've trained yourself over and over, just be like, and just slip and, and break fall, man, that is massively overrated because people really get hurt falling. Yeah, a lot. And if your body's instinctively knows how to do that, you could mitigate a lot of damage. I do it all the time, even when I'm just like, I'll lay in bed and I'll spec. <laughs> I'll get up and do like a technical stand up. It's so in my body that I'll literally wake up in the morning and I'll just be sleeping, and I'll I'll sit up and I'll just like put my hand on the mat and do a fucking <laughs> technical stand up just to get out of bed. 
I'm like, oh god, that's how you know I'm getting old. I can't even just use my body to stand up anymore. It's a crazy skill though, like break falling, because somehow eventually it just works. Like I came off a skateboard a few months back and just automatically, automatically, like not done jujitsu for a while, just break fall, got straight up off the floor. My wife's like, oh, you okay? I'm like, yeah, break falls. I break fall, no worries, babe. Yeah, really, really manly. I'm going to live to fight another day. Yeah. She, no, she's like, stop skateboarding. You, you're 42. You're an idiot. Yeah, you're probably reaching that age. But all you got to tell her is, yeah, but I broke fall. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't get hurt. This is my point. Did you, uh, you, you competed over the weekend too, right? Uh, uh, yes. Last weekend at the, what competition was that? What was that one called? It was the uh, Singapore International Open. Yes. Dude, they all... It's in my head they all the just morph and coagulate and everything how was that like I wasn't there to actually catch your match I was coaching all the kids and everything like oh, that how'd that go it was good I, I won the match um, I was really hunting for the submission but unfortunately I didn't get it but um, who did it, you compete against uh, with uh, Abang Sayef oh, right. from Malaysia yes. that's right yeah yeah I know him He's a, is he a black belt or a brown belt he's now? a brown belt that's right yeah, yes. yeah yeah he's been in the scene in Malaysia for a while I used to teach in Malaysia oh okay uh, like three years ago, before we came back to Singapore, my wife and I were in KL and we were teaching at Clinch, a gym that was there. And then we came back to Singapore, but same thing. You know, the community is pretty small. You start to see all of these people over and over again. I love the Malaysians though. Man, the Malaysians are feisty. Yes. They really are. Yes. They roll so hard. Like Singapore is, uh, people roll hard here too, but it's a little bit more technical. The Malaysians are gritty though. They are gritty. They will fight hard to the bitter end. They have no issue just like going hard. They're after tone people down, right? <laughs> like you see people are like, I fucking settle down. You're going to kill each other. Here, I got to bring people up usually. I got to be like, okay, I want you to flow and everything, but you got to also take it up a notch, right? Up the aggressiveness a little bit. Not in Malaysia, man. <laughs> Those guys are really, really aggressive. Oh, man. So uh, you have... November, you're going to Abu Dhabi. Have you signed up for that already? Uh, not yet. Ah, you still but, have to do it. Uh, I'll do it ASAP. Do you know how many people are going to be there for that? No, I haven't checked anything. Ah. I also saw that the ADCC in December is already, some of it already set. You're in there. Yes. Oz is in there. Yes. There's a couple of, Ra Raul? Is Raul in there? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I think he might be. Have you trained with him yet? Yes. Super nice guy. Super Strong nice guy. as fuck. Wow. You're like, Huge. what the shit is this? <laughs> he used to be a featherweight, man, and one. He used to be 66 kilos. Look at that motherfucker now. How does he even make weight in one? I'm not trying to talk shit, one, but I don't know how Raul passes that goddamn hydration test. Because <laughs> he came into the gym today, and that motherfucker looks like he's about six feet tall and just as wide. I'm just like... And he's like, hey, you want to roll? And I'm like, no. No, I don't want to roll with you, man. No, I didn't say that. I obviously didn't say that. I had to go to get here. But right as I was about to leave, he's like, oh, man, can we get in a roll? I was like, sorry, I'm already running late. I'm, I got to meet Mujig or whatever. But such a sweet guy. Mm. Really, really nice yes. guy. Mm. I got a new one of beer. <laughs> Jake, can you, can can you, you hold this thing down? Can. Can you know mm. Get in there, bro. Oh, yes, please. Right, oh, okay. nice. Thank you. So what do you think about Singapore, man? Are you here to stay? Like, um, are, is this a long-term commitment for you guys? Or you're kind of just going to see how? Or um, We'll just see how first. Um, but if it's a long-term, I would like to stay in Singapore. Singapore's sure. pretty sweet, right? Yeah, it's it's really nice. I love it here. 
I genuinely love it here. Yeah. Are, you were born in the Netherlands? No, I was born in Mongolia. I fucking knew it. I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't want to be that guy, but your name. I was like, that's a Mongolian name. So you were born there, and when did you move to um, the Netherlands? We, I moved there when I was five years old. Then, yeah, and then I was there until I was 20 years old. And in the Netherlands? In the Netherlands, yes. And then you went to the... UK. To UK. Yes. Do you have family still in Mongolia? Do uh, you go yes. back? Yeah, I'm like, all, pretty much uh, all my family is still there. Only my direct family, my mom, my sisters, they're still in, my dad's still in, uh, in, in the Netherlands. So your, your family just immigrated to the Netherlands from Mongolia when you were, you were a kid? Yes. Wait, so sorry, who, who's there still in Mongolia? Uh, my my parents. My, no, my parents and my, my siblings. Do you make it back still? Mm, yes. To visit? Yes. What, what, is it like the capital? What, where, where do they stay? Well, or is it like one of the smaller villages? It's one of the smaller villages. Like It's a tiny village, maybe 10,000 people. Oh, okay. Well, that's like where I grew up, about yeah. the same size. <laughs> I'm American and people don't realize it, but I grew up in a very, very, very rural part of it. I'm from West Virginia. Mm. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I've heard of it. But there's... Just, <laughs> dude, there's, there's nothing there but like uh, fucking heroin addicts and like... <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. It's very rural, a small town. The biggest city, I think, in my state is like maybe 20 or 30. That's the biggest city. like 20, 30,000 people. It might be 50. But really, really small town life. Nothing to do. What made your parents relocate? Was it a job or... It was, yes. It was a job. Um... My mom, she got a job in a circus, so then she moved first. In the circus? Yes. Oh, doing what? Uh, being acrobat. Really? Yes. God damn. <laughs> I was like, you said that, and I, I sat here for a second, and I was like, wait, what? Did you say the circus? <laughs> That's interesting. So she's like a, an acrobat. Yes. What did she do? Did she do like the rings, or did uh, she do... She was doing the trapeze, well, like all kind of different, different acts, and then um, afterwards, my, me and my dad, we... We moved uh, to Europe as well, and then he was doing also acts with her. That is super interesting. Circus. Wow, man, that is crazy. So that's probably why they were you in sports from the time that you were young. Like, uh, mm, I was like always been like quite athletic since I was young. But Would they keep you around when they were working? Would you see yes. the sort of athletic? Feats that they would do, and um, I mean, if you know, if your parents do that, you must be in the scene a little bit and so, being exposed to everything. So my parents, they were both uh, professional gymnasts back in Mongolia. So I, th I guess I got the sort of bit of their genetics. Yeah, you got the athletic so then, genes. Yeah, you could say that. So then I never, I wasn't really into gymnastics. I wasn't really into the circus life or whatever. But uh, but I was always like quite athletic. So when they came to, when you guys moved to the Netherlands, were they still doing the same thing there? Or did they switch mm, careers when they the, moved to Europe? Yeah, when they moved, they switched their careers. Oh, man, that's fucking fascinating. What did they switch to? Uh, like, yeah, they were circus uh, artists. Oh, yeah. still when, they, when you guys moved to the Netherlands? So when we first moved to the Netherlands, that's when they became uh, circus performers. Oh, so it wasn't in Mongolia. So what were they doing in Mongolia they were, where they had those skills already? They were professional gymnasts. Oh, oh, okay, I see. So in Mongolia, they were gymnasts, and yes. then when they moved to the Netherlands, they started working with circuses. Yes. That is fucking awesome. Also, probably the most transferable skill for martial arts of any, like, athletic... I, I think gymnasts probably have the most universal athleticism of any 
of anything that you can do. Like that is universal athleticism. If you want to throw a baseball, if you want to do jujitsu, if you want to do a jumping sport, a dribbling sport, a ball sport, a combat sport, gymnastics gives you the most like control of your body that I've ever seen. And so I feel like those guys are always like dangerous. When you get those, I have a guy, he's in Australia now. He's called, his name's Sil, but he was one of those guys that he works or he trained at a gymnastics place here in Singapore. He could do the tucks and all the things. This motherfucker is just so strong for his size. And because they, because they're so in tune with their body, they have so much control. You know, they can do the handstands. They can walk on the hands. They're very generally flexible too. They can do the splits and all that kind of stuff. When you teach them a move, they can just do it instantly because the coordination is so high, right? Like their ability to coordinate their body is so uh, sophisticated. You know, sometimes I'll get people who don't have the same level of coordination and I'll be like, take your right hand and then grab their left foot and I'll see them like, I'll see the math problem going in their fucking head <laughs> as I'm like, you know, I'll see all the numbers fly by as they're like trying to think right hand, left foot. But then you get the people that have really, really strong coordination, like the gymnasts. And there's other things that can do it, but I think gymnasts are the best. And when you tell them to do something, they, their body just instantly does it. So there's no troubleshooting phase. They're just so coordinated that they can just do it. And they're so athletic that they can do it. I think it's the most universal thing. If I was going to put my kids in anything to make them better at martial arts, which, let's be real, if I have kids, they're going to fucking train, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's be real. That's what they're going to do. This is the family business. You're going to do it. I'd put them in gymnastics before I'd put them in anything. Absolutely. It's just universal. Like, you're going to do that jumping, running, sprinting, stretching, walk, like anything that, that shit applies. I'm always jealous when I see like <clears throat> kids who've done gymnastics for ages. They're so coordinated compared to my kids. Or like my kids like fall over their own feet and stuff like that. And then you see this gymnast kids like flipping in the air and doing all this fancy stuff. You're like, oh, that's amazing. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could be bothered to take my kids to gymnastics, but I really can't. Well, here's the difference, right? Like let's take jujitsu for example. Let's say you start a five-year-old, right? Like that's when we start our kids at Stronghold. Let's say you take a five-year-old and you put them in jujitsu three to five years, they're going to develop athleticism for sure. And they're, but it's going to be sport specific athleticism. So, and you see this a lot, let's say in MMA, like, why is it that the jujitsu people that have started, like, let's take someone like Mackenzie Dern, for example, there, there's pl plenty others, right? But we use her as an example. She's not the best example there. Maybe Ben Askren. Let's take Ben Askren for an example, right? Super strong wrestler, won the Hodge trophy, right? Amazing wrestler, cannot absorb striking. Like just his, and I'm part of, part, partly it's his body type and partly it's his genes and he doesn't have a super fast twitch body, which is why he's got like the fucking dad bod, right? <laughs> but you can take a kid who starts in grappling martial arts from the time that they're five and take that 10 years. So they're presumably athletic. They're presumably like should be able to do a lot of stuff. But then you introduce them to sports that require different types of athleticism. And it doesn't translate the same way. If you take a gymnast, you can put them in any sport. And they're going to be able to do it because it's universal athleticism. When you're holding one of those poses, right? You're like isometric strength is like a squeezing, holding, like static strength right and then you also have movements that are like fast twitch where they're fucking clearing their legs and they're swinging on the ropes or, or doing the rings when they do the rings they're holding 
it's static, but they're also start to roll and kick through, which is a, which is an explosive act. And when you have both of those, both types of athleticism, those are the dangerous people. Those are the people that have universal athleticism. You can put them in boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu. They have the ability to have that isometric squeeze, and they also have the ability to have that fast twitch, pop, pop, pop. You know, like you can't get when you're used to like, like Gordon Ryan, probably not going to be a boxer. Because he's that fucking gorilla who can squeeze you and just isolate you and has that great isometric strength. But if you watch him hit the pads, it's pretty rough. <laughs> like, you can tell he's a slow twitch guy, which is very specific to jiu-jitsu and it, it's strong in that context. But those gymnasts have it all. Like They have the full package. That's when they, universal athleticism. When you work it, walk into like the first ever Muay Thai class and just you know, head kick like the bag and stuff like that, you're like, oh, God damn it, I can't do that. <laughs> it's not fair. I've been doing this ages. Because they're flexible, yep. they're strong, <laughs> and they have strength in those weird ranges of motion, right? They have strength in those weird, uh, because they're so flexible, they have strength in those weird angles where they can be in a split and still have strength to come down. Like most people can't even reach that, but to have the strength at the, eng- at the ends of those ranges of motion is extremely difficult. Like, And that's, I think, what a lot of jiu-jitsu people lack is strength in those weird ranges of motion. I don't know, but that's that's crazy. Do they still... Do they, your parents still do stuff like that? Uh, are they still... No, no, they're retired. Now. Are they still fit? Like, do they still uh-huh. do... Mm, no. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, you've been doing that for so long, you can, you can take a break. So they would do... When they were in the circus, like, what would they do? What was their act? Um, Like... They would come up with like different acts every year, but did they uh, work together? Like it was a husband and wife thing. Yes. Oh man, yeah. that's crazy. That's the family business. Yeah, it was <laughs> in some <laughs> sense, right? Oh yeah, it was the family business. You could say that. Uh, yeah, they were doing all kinds of different stuff. Um, my mom was doing the trapeze. She was doing um, like balancing on those like cylinder thing, and you put a board on top, and you like balance yourself on top, and then yeah, yeah, yeah I know the ones you made. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like those kind of things, and then she'd like stack things on top and should like go higher and higher and like, do like jump on top jump rope on top of it and like do all kinds of crazy stuff so uh yeah and what a trip man to go from <laughs> mongolia gymnastics to the netherlands yeah. doing circus acts to then you know you're here in singapore like competing professionally in jiu-jitsu and teaching at equilibrium what a, what a trip have they been here yet um, yes, my mom, she came here in January. What do they think about Singapore? Oh, she, they loved it. Yeah, it was great. Have they ever been? No, they've never been. It's pretty crazy to see when you've never been here, right? Yes. You don't really understand. Like, I didn't understand Singapore when I first moved here. I remember I used to be a teacher. I was a, I was a school teacher first. Um, I taught at the Korean International School, and I taught at the Chinese International School in Singapore, and I was always training. And then, uh, But while I was working, I would train, and then the opportunity came up to switch careers and start doing martial arts and stuff. But I remember first moving to Singapore. I'm also curious in a second, Jake, about your story about hearing about Singapore. You're British, so you probably have a different, slightly different perspective. But for me, I remember when I first heard about the job offer to move here, I was like, Singapore, where the fuck is that? I had no idea where it was. I knew it was somewhere in Asia. I actually thought it was like Australia-ish, right? Because I, I don't fucking, I'm American, dude. I don't know shit. Okay, I elected Donald Trump as the president of my country. Okay, <laughs> what do I know about Singapore? I can beat you. 
Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me finish this, and then I'll, I'll ask you the same thing. And then I remember googling Singapore because this job opportunity came up, and I was like, all right, let me let me see what's up. And I remember looking at the pictures of Singapore, and I was like, what the fuck is this? This place exists. It's its own little city state. And I was only interested in the martial arts. So the first thing that I did was like Google the city and then look like MMA, right? Because I was a teacher at a school, but realistically like martial arts, MMA was my dream. So like first thing I did was just look it up. And then I found out about Evolve and I found out about One and everything. And I was like, oh shit, there's like a growing MMA scene here. There's like a MMA promotion here. Evolve was like huge at the time and I sent everybody a message and then I remember taking the cab ride from the airport to where I was staying and I was looking around and I was like holy shit I have never seen a place like this I was coming from New York City and I thought like New York City is like one of the capitals of the world right this must be the cutting edge of what cities can be and then I came here and I was like oh Singapore dunks on fucking New York easy (laughs) New York's disgusting I love New York but it's fucking nasty there's roaches and fucking crackheads and like rats and like it's dirty and it can be ghetto as fuck and there's like really bad ghettos and homelessness and everything and from my American perspective I was like oh New York City it's like I understand it's got its things but it's still like you know cutting edge in terms of like global cities and it is in some respects but then I came here and I was like oh shit like this is a completely different animal everything was clean it's like millionaires and money and nice living and no homeless crackheads trying to fucking punch you for like a McNugget, right? Like whatever the no, thing is. No open drug scene. No, yeah. Sure. yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. And this is like Southeast Asia, which to me I thought was like a relatively impoverished area of like the world, right? And I, after looking at it, I was like, oh, okay, I don't know shit about the world. Right, so Jake, what's your story, man? So the first time I came here, I was living in Delhi, and I got sent here on a training course. And again, I I moved to India and didn't know it was in Asia. That's how good I am at geography. And then I rock up here, and I announce to a room full of people at this training course I'm on, "Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I've never been in the Southern Hemisphere before." And everyone's like, "The fuck, he's not in the Southern Hemisphere now, you idiot!" But yeah, it was pretty much like a trip was. Was it your first time here when you moved here? Yes, it was. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. actually, no, it was um, the first time I visited in 2019. That was my first time in South Oh, okay, Korea. yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I'd, I'd been here once before on a training course, and my wife, who's English, she actually grew up here. Oh, okay. So, like, it's super weird for her, because as far as she's concerned, it's this like her, cha- yeah, yeah. It's her childhood <laughs> home, and, um, yeah, it's really weird. But the yeah. first time I came here, I came, and then same, you know, wanting to work out where to train and um, Equilibrium was right across the road from where I was working so that's how I know Yang and everyone because soon straight away I came over and joined up there but I joined well, did you come when it used to be in Scape did you see it then yes yeah, was, yeah. that's when I came here but when I, first, when I first started training there it was in Scape but it was in an even smaller one than the one they'd had it was crazy you couldn't run Muay Thai and BJJ classes at the same time yes. <laughs> so they had to split the two but it's still like yeah it's really good I really enjoyed it <clears throat> sorry yeah. cut to you but then um, so then you met Yang here yes okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Yang's a good guy he's uh, he's an awesome guy uh, we need to get him on just to find out what happened in Vegas as <laughs> it were because he was in Vegas when it was uh, he was just got back yes I think he went to his where was the UFC? I 
think it was San Francisco. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I got my mind it was Vegas, then, but I guess not. And then he did go to Vegas to watch the ADCC. Oh, he did? Oh, nice. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Did you watch the Song Yudong fight? Uh, Have you met him? Have you met any I, of those? I've met Song Yudong, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, John Wee Lee also was back in the day. I heard they yeah, had some yes. kind of split or whatever, but yeah, I did you that. catch that fight, the Song yes. Yudong fight? Yes. That was rough, hey? God, that cut oh, was man. brutal. That cut was brutal. I don't know if you can pull it up, Jake, if it's possible. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure everybody's seen it. If it's hard, don't worry about it. If it's easy, then you can. If not, no worries. But, man, that fight was razor close also. Song yes. Yudong is a fucking beast. Oh He's going to be a champion. I have very little doubt that that guy will be a champion. Because that some of the cuts on that fight card were brutal. That one, and then there was another guy. Uh, what was that? Rodriguez? Did you see that? Y- yes. I looked like a vagina yeah. opened yes. up on his forehead. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. it was brutal, yeah, man. That was a bad cut. I, yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, oh, shit. Look at that. Wait, I gotta God up. damn. If you're listening to this podcast, go and look at Song Yadong's head. I can't zoom oh in on God. it from here. That's okay. I mean, it's it, you can see it pretty fucking clear here. God, dog, that is brutal. Yeah, look that's, at that's that. That's a big one. Man, I've never seen. And it's in the worst possible spot, right on the eyebrow, splitting down his head. And Corey Sanhagen is a bad motherfucker. And that fight was razor close. That was a razor close fight. If Song had won that fight, he probably would have challenged next for the title. And I I don't think he's going to lose any credit. Like, I don't think he's going to go down in the queue. Technically he lost, but he would not have stopped fighting if they didn't stop that fight. He would have kept going. He's like, fuck it. I'm yeah, man. What a bad motherfucker. Song Yudong is. Cuts like that are a weird one. Cause like, yeah, you take a loss and you take the hit from the loss, but no one's like, ah, you got knocked out or like you got beat. It's just like, no, your head split open and you couldn't see. You probably needed to stop <laughs> All, fighting. Although to be fair, Sanhagen's elbow was, I mean that, you got to give Sanhagen yeah, credit. Yeah. That up elbow, boom, hit him right as he was coming in. But you know what I mean? Like, Gashed him. People don't take it the same way they take like a submission or a knockout or something like that. It's like, yeah, you got caught. It's fine. So, no, that's why, and no disrespect to you, BJJ people, you know I love you, but that's why from <laughs> MMA context, you don't give a shit about fighting grapplers. You don't care. You really don't care. Like, if, if I'm taking an MMA fight and I find out that it's like a grappler, I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you get choked or armbar, you tap out. When you fight a scary striker, you're, you're not sleeping at night. You're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be brutal, right? It's going to be brutal. doesn't mean that it can't be brutal if you're dealing with a grappler or whatever. Come on in, don't be shy. Come on in. Don't be shy. Charmaine just dipped her head in here. That's okay. Come on in. We're chilling. My, uh, That's okay. No worries. You're good. Steven's coming also soon. My favorite one in MMA is sometimes when you get like a really good grappler versus a really good grappler and they decide to have the worst kickboxing bout ever. <laughs> oh, those oh, are for rough. For sake, grapple, you idiots. <laughs> like watching Hodolfo fight in the UFC. I'm just like, oh, 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 oh man. He's one of the toughest to watch because I was GF team before. Uh-huh. Have you seen him fight in the UFC? I've seen yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> I love your tone. Like I've seen it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it can be pretty rough because he, he. It's just different. It's just different when you try to apply your BJJ, and he's got to learn how to strike. That that's really important. But one, his wrestling is not super great. His efficiency is not super great. It would be interesting to see how Buchecha does. But he's had so much of an easier road than Hadolfo because, you know, Buchecha's getting whoever in one. Like, 
and he doesn't deserve like any crazy he's new right he's only had three fights or whatever but i think that hadolfo signed with the ufc after like six fights and then all of a sudden he's in the ufc and that's pretty rough because you can see him struggling with the strikers he's struggling to get takedowns i don't know why he doesn't pull guard honestly like sometimes if you're in a if Adolfo Vieira is in a kickboxing match, why yeah, don't we pull consult yeah. the yeah. guard pulling gods <laughs> <laughs> just just to see what's up? Yeah, is there who's your favorite like uh, MMA fighter? Because it's interesting that you are a huge MMA fan and started kickboxing. Yes. Well, do I'm, you have favorites? Um, I, I don't really have favorites. I just like a lot of people, but I guess Habib. Khabib. I like Khabib. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> Man, we, we nut ride Khabib so hard on this podcast. Like, <laughs> I got a Khabib shirt. Like, we've had so many podcasts about Sambo and all of that. What about, uh, okay, I'll put you on this. What about Islam and, and Charles Oliveira? Well, I have to stick with my jiu-jitsu buddies. You're going to go with Charles Oliveira? Yes. Do you think he will win or do you're pulling for him? Um, I'm pulling for him. Yes. But who do you think will win? I feel like I feel like uh, Charles Oliveira's just submission game is better, and his striking is better. I would agree with that. Do you think he could submit Islam though? It's the wrestling is going to be the question, right? Mm, yes. The wrestling and the submission defense, because if Islam can pass Charles Oliveira's guard, you know, if he can get to the side control or get to the back or something like that's going to be a fucking problem. But if Charles Oliveira gets on top, that could be equally a problem. I don't know, man. This is one of the ones I really have. Like, my, my, like, my analytic brain is telling me that Islam because of the wrestling. Like, for sure, Oliveira gets taken down sometimes. Yes. And Islam's, like, those guys, their jujitsu is so good. Their submission defense is so good. Have any of those Dagestani guys been submitted ever? I can't think of a single time that that team has ever lost by submission. Call them going. I don't think so. I mean, uh, all of those Dagestani guys, like Usman Nurmagomedov, obviously Khabib, you got Islam, you got who, who's the other uh, big? Uh, right, names right on the tip of my tongue. The other guy that trains with Khabib that's in the UFC. Uh, Trying to find out yeah. on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, I can't think of a single time any of those guys have ever been submitted. Granted, Charles Oliveira is the king of submissions, so there's a different level there. But I just can't imagine that Charles Alvarez submits Islam. My God. Yeah, what I, can, I can't imagine fight. him beating him on the feet. I can't imagine. Yeah, him I can't imagine him, him knocking out. Not submission, but I can. I can see the fight getting stopped on the feet. You know, but it's just there have been a few people, not in a long time, but there have been a few people that have been able to take Oliveira down, hold him, wrestle, fuck him. You know, like uh, Paul Felder smashed him in the guard with the elbows, knocked him out. That was a long time ago. Long time different, ago. Like, different Charles Oliveira. Totally different. Totally different Charles Oliveira. But God, that's a compelling fight. That is a fucking good fight. But you still got to think, oh, if Khabib was there. <laughs> if Khabib was there, this might be a different story. So your heart's pulling for Charles Oliveira. Yes. Well, can you pull up that card, Jake? It's this weekend, right? No, I think it's further away than Next that. Next weekend? I think. Let's see. Maybe it's next weekend. There's one this weekend. There's like three, two or three one championships this weekend. So hopefully I'm judging. I haven't heard yet, but hopefully I'm judging the one this weekend. Tiffany Teo, my girl. Have you met Tiff? Yes, I have. She's fucking awesome. I love her. Tiff and Kaishong. 
they're fucking amazing. So Tiff is fighting Ritu from Evolve this weekend. Oh wow! Um, nice. And then Tawan Chai is fighting this weekend. We got. We could probably pull the one card up too. We can try. He's not. Um, it's Mackenzie Dern fight night this weekend. Oh, that's UFC. Is that the main event? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. She's getting better. Mackenzie Dern's getting a lot better. She's looked pretty good lately. Oh, yeah. Ritter versus Big Dash. Fuck, that's a good fight. No, the one this weekend is legit. The one this weekend is really, really good. And I love it because when it's mostly Muay Thai, I just get to sit there and watch. I have the best seat in the house. When it's MMA or Jiu-Jitsu, I have to judge. So I'm like really focused and trying not to ruin everything, (laughs) right? I'm just trying to do my best job. But when it's the Muay Thai and the kickboxing, I just get the best seat in the house and I just get to sit there and like freak out when crazy shit happens. It's the best. Rainier de Ritter, fellow oh, wow. Dutchman. Have yes. you seen him fight? Yes. He's Wait, amazing. Am I He's amazing. He is fucking amazing. Am I going crazy? It's got the results on it. Oh. <laughs> Look, de Ritter. already? Wait. Oh, no. Is it a delayed? Have we just ruined it? I don't, know <laughs> if we can, I don't know if we can show this. Is that a mistake? I don't know. Look, he's literally got the results. What's the, what's the date? Can you written on it? What's the date? But I'm sure it said it was in the. Maybe we've travelled in time. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is this the? This is the only explanation. Wait, no, July. Twi- oh, July. that's why. Oh, okay. okay. I pulled it wrong. Well, that's on one because I can't. See <laughs> the screen. You know I can't see the screen properly. Also, you know, it's hilarious. I was there and I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was fucking there and I was like, "Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. The upcoming." If you go to the events, yeah, Tell yeah, Chai, that, that one. That's Sorry. the one. Pet Morcott and Tell Chai. Fuck, that's a good fight. God damn, that's a good fight. Yeah, that's exciting. Man, that is a good fight. Three days. Okay, so let's let's take a look at this. So we got uh Pet Morcott versus Tell Chai. That is a banger. <clears throat> Fuck, that is a good fight. Two world champions, two legends. Man, that is a really, really good fight in the main event. Then we got uh Krillica and uh, who's the... Innocente. I don't know him. Go down a little bit. Let's see who else we got here. Okay. Zhang Peng. There you go. Ritu and Ritu Tiffany Tio. Man, that's the one I'm excited for. Tiffany Tio is basically just the butcher of the Evolve <laughs> women Atomweight division. Oh, she was strawweight before. Did she... She changed for this one. Yeah, she's changed. Can, right. can you double confirm that so I'm not speaking no, on my I, ass? I'm, 90%, 99% Me too. Sure she, she was up a weight class before, but she was just the fucking like headsman, just the butcher of the previous division. Every time there'd be a contender, Tiffany would just chop him down. She had those rough fights with, with Panda, which we've discussed on this fight. This <laughs> Ad nauseum discussed how she won that Ad fight. Nauseum. <laughs> but that is going to be a good fight. And go down a little bit. And on the card. Okay. All right, and then there's actually two. Can you go to the next one? Because there's another one on... That's on Thursday. There's also another one on Saturday. October 1st. 8 a.m., though. That's a... Yeah, that's one on Prime 2. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is the big one. This is uh, Angela Lee versus Panda again. again. This is the third fight. God, this is going to be good. I really hope I'm judging that fight. And then Superbon versus... I can't see it. Can you see it? Typhoon. Ozcam. Turkey Netherlands. Okay. Super Bond's oh, back. Mikey Musumichi and Kleber Souza. I don't know. I just don't see anybody beating Mikey. What's your opinion on Mikey, man? Oh, it's incredible. Incredible. He's he's but like he's the best. You can just yank that thing up if it's too low. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Get in there. Have you trained with him yet? 
No, I would love to. I mean, he's in Singapore. We got to sort that out, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like everybody needs to sort it out. But Evolve is weird about training with other people. Yes. They're better, though, actually, recently, because they, they did that open mat. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, I saw that. They didn't used to do that stuff at all. So it makes me think mm. that they're getting a little bit more open with, with training with people in okay. the scene. And uh, I should just message them because I have this like group chat of the American instructors in Singapore. There's only like three or four of us, the black belts or whatever, they're American. Yes. And uh, I got to get a hold of that guy because I think he would totally be down to train. It's just that Evolve's weird yeah, about that stuff. I've, I've, I've spoken to him or I've, I went to Evolve with Jason Hunt and spoke with him briefly and he, I think it was something about the issue that, yeah, that, that, that's what's weird about it. And it, it kind of bums me out because, like, I work for Chaudhry in some sense. I used to train at Evolve also. I spent two years at Evolve. I just wish we could do that. But I don't know if, like, I don't know. Maybe we just do it on the DL and try to message. I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble. The word right? is out now. I don't know what the fucking <laughs> rules are. I just want to train with this dude. Uh, yeah, but he's he's competing against Clever Souza. That should be a good fight. But Mikey's just on a next level. Stamp. Stamp and Radzuan. Ooh, that's a good fight. That should be an interesting fight. And Martin Nguyen. God damn, that one is... That's a good card. Uh, Martin Nguyen's on that card. Timothy Nastyukin also. <clears throat> God, man. That one on Prime 2 card is Thank legit. You. Go down a little further. Marat is also on this card. Yeah. Who else, who else have we got? Damn, this is a banger. I saw this. I just haven't looked at it in a, in a while. Man. That is a good card. If you're uh, looking for some good MMA this weekend, this is way better than the UFC. Yeah, way better. This is way better UFC than the UFC card. card. Yeah. So if you're looking for some MMA on this weekend, you got two one cards. One on Thursday, one on Saturday. Mikey Musumichi, Angela Lee, Panda, Marat, Timothy Nastyukin. Fuck, that's a good card. Nice. And uh, when is the when is the big UFC? Is it next weekend? No, it's, it's a while away, yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, because you got Dern versus Jan... Caruso versus... I can't see that. No, it's too far away. So, 280 is... It's got a date on it. 280, that's the one, right? 23rd of October. 23rd. Okay, we've still got a few weeks. Oh, I still can't stop thinking about that. <laughs> oh, I've just seen it as well. Like, Dillashaw's back. Yeah. See what's up there. Yeah, Dillashaw and Aljo. Who do you think wins that one? What do you, what do you think, Mujig? Ooh, I think Dillashaw. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. What do you think about the age, though? Can Aljamain Sterling get a little respect from you motherfuckers? Can he get a little no, right. respect? When he, he, when he won the belt. When he won the belt. He when he won the belt for the first time, I stuck up for him on this podcast saying he was still in that fight. I'm not shitting on him, but like TJ Dillashaw could have been a little bit of like, well, daddy's home now, so you're all getting it. Yeah, but then if you think about that Sandhagen fight, the most recent one, mm. man, that was a close fight. Like, I think Aljo doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. Aljo fucked up Corey Sandhagen. He yeah. took his back, choked him out in like two minutes or something. And then to beat Piotr Jan, that is crazy. We also have Jan and O'Malley. Yep. Which, pff, I don't even know what to think. I mean, I know what to think. My instinct <laughs> is that like, Piotr Jan is going to fucking smash Sean O'Malley. That's my instinct. But who knows? Yeah, but I, I feel like I know. I, I, I do. Like I, I know. Piotr Jan's going to smash him. I agree with you, except O'Malley does have the touch of death as well. Like if he hits someone, he does have that one one shot finishing power. So if he can line it up and set it up, then he's got a chance. But I think Piotr Jan's defense is too good. Mm. He almost never gets hit. Like even in that fight with Aljo, all he did was like Aljo took him down, like and took his back for like a minute. Like he was never in any threat. I, I can't even. He's never been dropped in the UFC. He's never been hurt. I don't think I've ever seen him cut. No, 
He's one of the these Russians. Mm. I don't know what the fuck they're building. Khabib never saw him cut, never saw him hurt. He got like Ugh, a little staggered one time because he got fucking hit by a world cha- like killer. I guess Michael Johnson tagged him. Yeah, I think Gaethje like hit him a couple times, but they don't even look. Fedor like these guys don't even wear the damage. What the fuck are they putting in the water in Russia, man? Like I don't understand how these guys can look like that. <laughs> Have you had any Russian students yet? Uh, yes. Are they equally crazy? Mm, no. Really? Yeah, Mine are the quite, best. Yeah. I love my Russian students because they are crazy. Like, if I could have a million, a hundred Russian students, I would take them all. Russian athletes are some of the most disciplined, well-behaved. They listen to everything that you say. They genuinely, like, when I make corrections, you know, there's some, there's some cultures that you speak to where you can get a sense of like the ego I, mm. I don't know if you've experienced this um, or not maybe not culture but definitely certain people yes I feel like it's a cultural thing like Singaporeans it can be hit or miss because Singaporeans sometimes are very willing to accept uh, criticism others are not others I, I can just give them the same shit over and, and it's just like poof, go in one ear out the other Russian Americans are also the same way. Some Americans are extremely willing to hear criticism. Others, just like, Bleh, shit it out the ears. Like, you may as well not even say anything, right? But Russians, I don't know what it is about them. They have a dynamic between the coach and the student that is almost like, I remember Vlad told me this one time. Vlad is an old Russian student of mine that I had. Yes. He told me that in Russia, coaches are like parents. And teachers are like parents. You know, like in America, if a, nowadays, it wasn't like this when I was a kid, but nowadays, if you go to a teacher about, like, let's say you go to a parent-teacher school conference and you talk to the parent or the teacher about the student, how they're behaving in class. Nowadays, it's way more fashionable to, like, argue with a teacher. Like, oh, my kid said this, right? When I was growing up, it was not like that. If the teacher said something to your parent about you, you were fucked, like, you're going to go home, you're going to get grounded, you're going to get smacked, like, something's going to happen to you if your parents hear from a teacher that you did anything wrong. Now I feel like that's a little bit less likely to happen. It's also the same in Singapore. I used to be a school teacher. I would argue with parents about their behavior in class that they weren't in, right? Like, so I'll be a parent-teacher conference. I'm the teacher. The parents are coming and talking to me. I'm explaining to the parent how their kid is, and they're arguing with me. In broken English, because they don't even understand what I'm saying, and they're arguing with me. And I'm like, I'm not lying to you. Like, I'm trying to explain to you what's going on and how your kid is behaving and what the good things are and what the bad things are. And they're arguing with me. And I'm like, listen, I have your kid's best interest at heart. I'm not fucking with you. Like, I genuinely am just describing what's going on. Russians are complete opposite. Like, they're like, if you're a coach to a Russian, they're like, you're like their father, right? They listen to everything that you say they send me messages they follow up they apologize for things that they do they say thank like they're just so gracious and so amazing to teach like man if i could have a hundred russian athletes i understand why they dominate sports they are fucking so tuned in to criticism unlike almost any any culture that i've taught always when i get russian students i'm just like fuck yes I got one. All I need to know is they're Russian, and I'm like, I got one. <laughs> I got a guy who's going to do what he needs to do, who's going to follow instructions, who's going to be here every day. 
Uh, and it's amazing. I get some locals like that and some stuff, but the Russians are just a different. They're a different breed. Yes. Absolutely. You have you have some suits? Are they like that? Um, you can say no. Well, <laughs> this no, is my experience. They're quite okay. I don't have too many Russian students at all. Is, this is my current favorite thing coming out of Russia. It was amazing. Someone what was is this? Rus- Russian uh, Twitch streamer burns gas 24-7 to troll the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he took the feed down. He's in the middle of like Arctic conditions. He's got the forced, like the, you can see on the picture, he's got like the stove going and everything, the gas heater's going. He's got it up to like 48 degrees or something in his apartment. And he's got a little meter running alongside it showing how little money it's costing him. What's that subheadline say? Can you read that? Uh, while Europe faces the possibility of a winter without Russian gas. One Russian troll is running their stove non-stop 24-7 life. God, I love it. I love it. I'm not even mad about it. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Russians, dude. They're so weird. Oh, man, that is hilarious. But, I mean, goddamn, if you want to talk about a culture that's bursting to the forefront of, like, MMA, I mean, the combat sambo and stuff, man, these Russians are just so good. Man, they are good. If you look at like the UFC's top ten in every almost every division now, you're seeing these guys. You got Ankalaev. Of course, you have Khabib, Fedor, like old legends. You got Zabit, who's retired now apparently. You got fucking Islam. You got uh, what's that guy whose name I always forget? The king of kung fu. Uh, Muslim. Uh, Salikov. Yes, Salikov. Fucking amazing. Even though he's like 37 years old, he's still throwing like wheel kicks to people's heads and shit. Like, man. And then Bellator, you got like Usman Nurmagomedov. He's crushing people. He's about to fight for their lightweight title. And one, you have all of these guys. You have Marat, who's a previous champion. Like, God damn, they're good. Fucking Sadulayev, the wrestler. Have you seen this guy? Do you know Sadulayev? Yeah, I saw him. God damn, is he fucking good. And he's young. Like, jeez, ah, I don't know what they do there, but... A lot so, of wrestling, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of wrestling, a lot of grappling. Oh, man, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. MMA is more global than ever, and jiu-jitsu also. I feel like as it gets more and more globalized, it gets really fascinating because you start to see divergences in, like, skill um, like priorities. The- Prior- like, every, every country, <clears throat> culture has a different, like, thing that they put emphasis on and prioritize there's definitely like a US style now that's not like Dharma Death Squad style that's different to you know your more traditional Brazilian style like that's for sure there's, and then from the American side as well you've got like the 10th Planet style and stuff like that's come out so there, you are starting to see versions of Jiu Jitsu from each country that are like synonymous with that country I'd say Mujay, were all your coaches Brazilian? Like when you were in the UK, were most um, Brazilian? Yes, they were all Brazilians, all Brazilian. yes. There were none. There were no UK, European black belts at that point? They, they were. There, there were loads of... But uh, students, right? Not not teaching. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, when I was at Roger Gracie, all the instructors, they were all Brazilians. All of them? Yes. Was uh, Mauricio there? Was he teaching still? Yes, he was there. Oh, okay. Was there. We're trying to bring him in next year. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one of the goals is to bring him in. I have a student who used to train with him in London. Yes. yes. And, uh, you know, it's like the Hodger Gracie thing as well, like the affiliation or whatever. Like, it's just, you know what sucks? Jiu-jitsu politics. <laughs> Suck. Uh, Asshole. And I will say this until the day that I die. I fucking hate it. You know why? 
I can't bring in Hodger Gracie. You know why? Because he's affiliated with Evolve. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. yeah. Like, right, why can't he? He's not fought for them since what? Yeah, but it's that 2017. But it's that Henzo thing yeah. with Evolve, and I'm just like, man, it fucking sucks. So it's like, we want to bring in Hodger because he gave my coaches black belt, right? But pretty much Evolve has exclusive rights to all those dudes. So then this other student that I had was like, oh, we'll bring in Mauricio, Hodger's dad, right? Which is cool. Like, I'd love to have a fucking coral belt, red belt, whatever the fuck he is at this point. Love to have him in too. But yeah, these politics, I just can't understand why we can't bring in a guy. Because he has some like fucking tertiary tangential relationship with another gym that's in the same area. And I think it's just one of the most toxic things about jujitsu is this stupid politics. God, it drives me crazy. Uh, anyway, we've talked about that ad nauseum on this <laughs> podcast. We have a lot of repeating themes, Mujig, oh. on this podcast. Yes. And uh, toxic BJJ politics, one of them. Boxing, boxing's very annoying. That's that stuff regularly comes up as well. So yeah, we do we we do have recurring themes. I was speaking quick, quick boxing one as well. Did you see uh, Parker last last night? Sorry, who? Joseph Parker? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't see. Yeah, who did he fight? Oh god, I forget the guy's name. And he's, he's I only know because he's English. Hang on. Oh, so Englishman beat him? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So they're trying to set him up with. Um, oh god, the guy whose name I can't say. The Ukrainian fella. I, I, this Usyk? is not, yeah. <laughs> can't say his uh, name. He that got, wouldn't make sense because now they're talking about doing Deontay. Yeah, Wilder. Joe, Joe Joyce beat him last night. Who, what's his name? Joe Joyce. Joe Joyce. Oh yeah, I have heard of him. He be Joseph Parker. Yeah. Oh, so that's a new top five heavyweight. Yeah. Oh, another Englishman. Another Englishman. God damn, you guys have like that Olympic boxing program paid off, big style. Yeah, I would say so because now that that's like three of the top five. Okay, Joshua, I don't know where you put it. Fury's number one. Yeah. Joshua's probably like three or four in the top five, I guess. Yeah. I thought Joseph Parker was probably somewhere in the top five. So you might, that's like three in the top seven. Yeah. At least. English heavyweight boxing. Who knew? Who knew? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Me when we won all those Olympic medals all those years back. It was like, oh, yeah, we're... Which heavyweight boxing, move too, now. is a yeah. thing. So that's, that's three then. You got Joyce, you got... Joshua and you got uh, sorry Fury. Yep. They're the amateur program. Amateur programs are so important for developing those young people. God damn, interesting. Now they're trying to do Tyson Fury and Joshua. It's like fuck you, oh. dude. It's four years too late. You ruined it. Yep. You ruined it. You had two undefeated English champions. And stupid. Sorry. What did we just say? <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't Come and leave on the podcast. Can't help it. It makes me so. Angry boxing sucks so hard. I love it, but goddamn the politics. Yeah, <sighs> I can't do it anymore, Jake. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want no to. No more boxing this. talk. I don't. Know. <laughs> anyway, how long have we been doing this podcast, Jake? We're, we're, uh, we're on an hour thirty. Okay, that's pretty good. Mujik, anything else, dude? I want to get a f- couple more jujitsu questions in before of, we. Of course. Before we get onto this, what? What? And I ask this to a lot of coaches that I have. What got you into this? And I don't mean like, you know, what, oh, my, you know, I found a gym or whatever. I mean, like, what is the quality in you that martial arts or jiu-jitsu in particular, whatever, stuck with you for? So, for example, I'm talking more of like a personality characteristic, not like, a, oh, I found a gym or whatever. Like, 
I was talking to Jason, Greg, Nick's brother. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever met him. No, I never met he, him. He was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. He came here to do a seminar, and he gave me my stripe and my black belt and all that kind of stuff. And then I asked him the same thing. I was like, for a lot of people, it's insecurity, right? Ooh. For some people, <laughs> it's ego. Absolutely. For some people, it's like uh, being the fucking alpha, right? For some people, it, there's a lot of reasons why people train, but I'm talking about the core personality thing right like what is it in you that found this training all this kind of thing like endlessly fascinating to the point where like you you would dedicate your life to this um i guess just uh a meaning really like but how do you derive the meaning like what is it that derives the meaning for it's a philosophical question i a, guess right well, like yes. what what is it about this that gives your life meaning the suffering oh, is it the physical, the, like what, you know what I mean? Oh, man. It's a tough just, question. It is. It is definitely a we know, very we, tough we question. We throw a lot, of, a lot of layups here as Stronghold uh, Podcast. This, this I guess. No, I'm, I'm going to say it can't go weirder than it did last time we asked this question. <laughs> yeah. It never ends well when I ask this question, but I feel the need to ask it over and over again. Oh, man. For me, I guess it was just something that I could get good at. Was and, it like, uh, but what got you in the door? Or No. Well, this is what I asked Jason. What keeps you doing it? Is it the technical like side, the skill development? Is it some people ego can be either way. It can go mm. like I'm doing this because I want to build an ego or some people it can be because I want to crush my ego. For some so it, what is it that keeps you doing this because there's always this thing that I talk about which is intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic meaning that inner desire to do it when other people would stop. What is like your intrinsic motivation for training? Why do you keep coming back to this thing as opposed to something else? Like, Loaded question. Oh, Sorry. Oh, I think <laughs> I'm trying to put you on the spot, dude. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I think it does come back to the ego part where I do want to be the best. Um, I st uh, uh, like I train every day because I want to be the best and, I don't know. That's... Want to be the best at something? Yes. Why is it simulating murder against people? Like of all the <laughs> <laughs> of all the things that you want to be the best at, why is it fucking ripping people's heads off and like passing people's guards like a knife through butter? Like what is? <laughs> <laughs> like it's ex I think it's exactly what you just said. It's the ego insecurity being the alpha. It's. Uh... I think it's all these things together, really. Mine was the insecurity, I think. I felt weak mm. when I was young. And I guess, for whatever reason, when I saw combat sports, it was like, oh, this is a path to non-weakness. But then you also have to... And part, that's ego, right? Part of that is ego because you're like, I want to be fucking like, strong. I don't want to be bullied. I want to be... Whatever, right? So part of that is, is also your ego. Absolutely. But then in some unique way, it also crushes your ego. Yes. Which is endlessly fascinating about <clears throat> martial arts. Is that in some sense, you're doing it to inflate your ego while simultaneously getting smashed in like reality of the situation, fucking crushing your ego as you get, as you start, right? What was it like when you started jiu-jitsu? Was it like... Uh, it was eye humbling, eye-opening. Was there a memory? Everybody has a memory of like that one situation where, you, for me, it was a guy put me in a triangle. I was a wrestler. So that's the first thing I did was wrestling. And I, I remember taking this guy down, feeling like I'm winning. 
because I'm like on top and I took him down. That's what I'm supposed to do. And then he put me in this triangle and I could not escape this fucking triangle. I didn't even know what it was. He wasn't choking me, but I couldn't get out. And his legs were over top of my neck and he would try to squeeze my head and it didn't choke me, but I was like, knew that I was in danger. So it was like, he would pull and I wasn't like choking, like I wasn't going out, but I was like, fuck, this is not good. I don't know why it's not good because I don't know what's happened to me, but it's not good. And then he invited me to a jiu-jitsu class and I just thought like from a wrestling mentality that being on top was better and then blah, 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 blah. And then I, it just opened my eyes and this other dude put me to sleep with the guillotine and I was like, fuck. He <laughs> 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 choked me and I remember waking up and like a guy shaking my feet and I felt so embarrassed. I was like a zero stripe white belt, but I grappled for years because I had done wrestling and I just thought I was better, right? And then I just remember being like, fuck, this is different. Like, this is just completely different. You must have some memory like oh, that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, the first time I did jiu-jitsu was, uh, was in that small town that I did. And um, I, before that, I was, before I did Muay Thai, I was doing judo as well. Um, and I thought, okay, I, I'm just going to just gonna turtle up and then that's it. But the instructor took my back, chucked me out. I was like, what the fuck is this? And uh, I was like, I need to learn this. Yeah, for me, it was like a superpower. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like, I literally looked... I remember when I first started, I said this on the podcast so many times, but my coach was a blue belt, right? Like, blue belt, borderline purple belt, like upper blue belt. And I just remember being like, seeing him fuck everybody up. And I was a wrestler for years, so I had some grappling knowledge. It just wasn't jujitsu specific, but I had some. And I just remember seeing him, like, destroy everybody. And then I remember the first time I saw a black belt. And I saw him wreck my instructor, who I'd seen wreck everybody. And he played with them. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this guy that I've seen just toy with everybody is getting toyed with and just tapped constantly, constantly, constantly. And I was like, dude, this is as close to a, like the realistic manifestation of a superpower that I've ever seen. I saw it more with like striking later, like with kickboxing and when I moved to Asia, Muay Thai. Because I got a Muay Thai coach who was a Lumpini champion. He could do the same thing from the feet. But I hadn't been exposed to that because the grappling was higher where I'm from than the striking. So years later, I saw the striking version of that, which is the same thing. Like Striking with, with Kruat, who's a three-time Lumpini champion. He fought Sanchai like three fucking times to a draw and stuff. And then I remember sparring with him. And I was like, dude, this is like hitting a ghost. This is ridiculous. I can't touch this guy's face with my glove even if I'm fucking bum rushing him but grappling was the first thing and I saw that when I saw my coach get destroyed by these black belts and it wasn't even difficult I was like oh I gotta get some of this in my life like I need to I need to be that guy because you just never realize it like the levels to such things exist right like and then seeing that like, I don't know how anybody doesn't want that I literally can't understand how you can watch somebody like manhandle somebody and you're like, how can you be like, nah, I don't need to do that. I'm like, I need that now. I need to, I needed that 10 years ago. Did you see the Zuckerberg thing? Yeah, we didn't do an MMA. Yeah. And he, yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, where has this been my whole life? Like I didn't know such a thing existed. I felt like the exact same way. I just felt like saying, Mark, Mark, you're fairly rich. You can afford bodyguards to do that for you. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, I guess. But... I don't know. That's a little bit of a beta move, right? You want to be able to do that yourself. That's the thing. You know, learn those skills and develop it yourself. All right, man. Anyway, Mujig. 
Have you enjoyed this, man? Has this been yes, good? Yes, I, I did. I really enjoyed it. Yes, great. <laughs> We've talked for like two hours, man, or an hour and 45 oh. minutes or something. Thank you for coming on, dude. Mm, of course. I appreciate it. The whole thing I want to do with the podcast is just like chat with interesting people and coaches and people in the local scene and everything like that. So we appreciate having you. You want to shout out your like social medias or anything like that? Mm. You don't have to. Well, you don't, it's Magic uh, So. On, on, on the Instagram? On the, on the, gram? On the Instagram, on the yes. Gram. There's only one, so. Uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, not, not a very common name, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your name is one of one, I feel like. <laughs> and uh, you can also train with Mujiga Equilibrium. Yes. So if you want to go and train with him, you're there all the time, right? Pretty much all the time. Yes, I'm and, there every uh, day. Just to reiterate, Mujiga is definitely one of the best uh, jiu-jitsu players in the country. So if you want to go train with him, please. I look forward to the opportunity of training with you, man. You're probably going to fuck me up, but I'm into it. I'm a glutton for punishment, so I'm down. I don't give a fuck. I know how to tap. It's all good. Jake, the producer in the house, tried to get your mullet earlier. The barber wouldn't allow it. I'm so disappointed. He tried to he tried to come here with the mustache and the mullet, and the barber was like, no. We will not allow you to do this to your family. All right, everybody. This is a Stronghold Podcast. We're on episode 75 or something like that. 75. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Stronghold Podcast.